Who can't preach after that? Know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, great to get into God's Word with you on this Easter, and we have many guests that that visit our church every weekend, and uh, certainly Easter weekend, this uh, this is true. And you might be here, and you might be thinking to yourself, Okay, now, why is this uh, something to celebrate? What is the, what's the big deal here? Why are we excited about uh, the resurrection? And why are we, why are we uh, going on like we are? Well, first of all, let me say that we're glad that you're here. And to answer your question, I want you to realize something about our church. Our biggest passion is Jesus Christ. Number one. Specifically, his glory, his, his beauty, and the wonder of what he did in coming to this world and dying on the cross, being dead on Friday, and then three days later, being resurrected from the dead. We view this as the greatest thing that has ever happened, and if there is anything that is worthy of getting excited about, this is the thing. And so we summarize that here at Bethel Church with a little phrase, it's all about Him. And what that means to us is that Christ is the center, that Christ is the center of our lives, of our faith, of our worldview, that He defines everything. And His resurrection is what provides hope. And you might be here even potentially as a skeptic today, and even if you are here as a skeptic, wouldn't you want it to be true? I mean, even if you didn't know it was true or not, wouldn't you want it to be true? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that if it's not true, then there are no answers ultimately uh, for the things that our hearts crave and that we want to know. And our hope is in vain. You know, all of us human beings, there's something I can know about you today. I don't have to know you personally to know that 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 heart that you have, if it was honest today, the thing that you want to know is you want to know what happens to you when you die. Because the thing that looms over all of our lives is the reality that in spite of the temporary things that bring happiness and maybe some measure of significance, in the end, I am going to be dead. And what I want to know is what happens to me when I die. Am I going to live? And this is the cry of the human heart. This is the cry of every heart here today. And nothing provides an answer for that question like the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I read a story recently about something that happened in the Soviet Union. This was at the height of the Soviet's uh, power. They, um, the official religion of the Soviet Union was atheism. And so... Uh, there was a big rally that was going on and there was some very eloquent atheist who was, who was speaking and he was just like, he was just flame throwing against Christianity and against Jesus Christ and was saying that in actuality Marxism and Lenin, these are, Marx and Lenin, these are the, these are the men who are going to lead, uh, human history to its ultimate end and these are the people to trust in and what they had to say and I mean he just very eloquently but just with great fervor spoke against uh, Christianity. So when he was done, there was a spiritual leader that was there, and he said, could I, could I just address the crowd? I just want to say two words. And they're two words in, in Russian, but they're actually three in, in English. And so for some reason they let him. And so he stands in front of this entire crowd, and he gets up and he goes, 
he is risen. And the crowd was like, he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. You want to know why that's such a cool story? Because all of the man-made ideas and philosophies and all the isms that we can come up with, they fail us where we need them to succeed the most. And that is at the death issue. But the resurrection and Christianity helps us, provides an answer at the point that we need it to work the most, and that is that he is alive. And the great thing about this, this truth is that it is grounded in history. This is not just an idea. It's not just a story uh, that you see that has a nice conclusion. Oh, what a happy thing at the end. You know, Gandalf is alive and on the, all that. No, this is a historical fact. This was grounded in time and space. Jesus really did live and he really did die and he really was resurrected on the third day. And after 2,000 years, the world has not got over it yet. And here we are today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now this Easter, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Easter story from the perspective of one person. And this person is an unlikely candidate, first of all, because she is a woman. And the reason that I say that is in the culture of the first century, uh, this was, would not be who you would think would be central to the story she was a woman. She was also a woman with a past, a scarlet past. This is a woman that the Bible says that her life was dominated by evil. Now, it doesn't give us many specifics, but we can imagine what a woman's life dominated by evil would be like. So we're talking about brokenness. We're talking about regret. We're talking about pain. Maybe you can relate to that today. This was her life. Until one day, Jesus of Nazareth happened by where she lived. And Jesus healed her. And there was such a dramatic transformation in this woman's life that she left where she was living and she joined the group of people that were traveling with Jesus. And she was actually one of the women who was there who would help with various needs and just be there as a help to the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. And that means that most of what we see in the Gospels, she was there for. So she heard his teaching. She saw the miracles. And she was there when he died. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. The next time that we see her in the story in John, and by the way, I'm in the Gospel of John today. If you have a Bible, you can uh, turn to John uh, 20. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the uh, we'll have the lyrics or the lyrics. You know what? I want this sermon to sing, so uh, <laughs> we'll have the text on the screen for you. But we find Mary at a most unlikely place at the crucifixion, John nineteen verse twenty five. Here's what has happened. Just to walk through this now, Jesus uh, was betrayed by a member of his inner circle to the Jewish authorities who were filled with jealousy towards Jesus and they hated him and they wanted him dead. And so because of this inner circle betrayal, they get their hands on Jesus, but there's a problem. 
They want to kill him, but they're not allowed by the Romans to uh, exercise capital punishment. So they now need to get the Romans to be a part of their conspiracy. Which leads them then to this guy named Pilate, who was the governor, the Roman governor there. And uh, they needed to, 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 to get him. Now, uh, you're going to have to imagine with me here, because I know it's hard for us in the Chicagoland area to, to, to believe this, but politicians back then were sometimes corrupt. Sometimes they were fraudulent in their activities. And so here we have the politician Pilate, who the Jewish authorities basically play like a cheap ukulele. I mean, they just played him totally to the point where Pilate says, okay, do with him as you, as you, as you want. And here now is what the events of what we call Good Friday and uh, what we celebrated just two nights ago in a wonderful service. We had a powerful Good Friday service, and Tony Sorcy did such a wonderful job presenting the reality of the crucifixion. But what happened was that they take Jesus, they flog him to the point of death, they near death, they beat him, they force him to carry his cross outside of the city to a hill that they called Golgotha. And at that hill, they crucified him on a cross, and he was on that cross beginning at 12 o'clock. And uh, actually 9 o'clock. It got dark at 12, from 12 to 3. And the Gospel of John notes something in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. To the very end, Mary is there with Jesus. Now we could say, why would she have such devotion to her? I think the answer to that is something else that Jesus said. Here's what he said. Uh, He who has been forgiven much, loves much. Have you noticed that about Christians that you run into? The Christians who understand their sinfulness and how much God has forgiven them in Christ typically are the people that have the greatest devotion to Christ. And Mary Magdalene was a woman like that. She knew what her life was like before, and she knew what what Christ had done for her, and so she had a tremendous devotion to Jesus. She loved him very much. So that was uh, Friday afternoon. Jesus died at 3 o'clock. After 3 o'clock, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, I would like to bury his body. Pilate says, okay. So Joseph and Nicodemus and some other women, including Mary Magdalene, Matthew tells us, are there at the tomb. They take his body to a brand new tomb. No one had ever been laid there before. They prepare his body somewhat hastily for burial because they, Passover begins at six o'clock. They, they bury him in the grave. The stone is rolled in front. And from six o'clock on Friday night to six o'clock on Saturday night, nothing happens. It's Sabbath. Mark tells us that after 6 o'clock on Saturday, a group of women went out to the marketplace to buy spices to go back and to finish the job of anointing his body according to the traditions of the day. So women are going out to buy spices to anoint his body. Does this sound like people who are expecting a resurrection the next day? I mean, why would you go out and buy spices if, you know, if he's going to be resurrected uh, the next morning? And I think that's important to realize. They were not, on Saturday night, it's not like they were, you know, going, oh, tomorrow's Easter. Uh, you know, they're just not doing that. They're normal 
people. And what happens with normal people? He was dead. We want to take care of him, but he is dead. The last thing on their mind was a resurrection. Saturday night passes, which brings us now to John 20. And I want to summarize verses 1 through 10 very quickly. Here's what happens. Early in the morning, John says, Mary Magdalene, before dawn, she heads out to the tomb, probably carrying some of those spices with her that she had bought the night before. As she comes up to where the tomb is, remember, she was there when she buried, she knew where it was, she comes up to it, and she sees that this stone that had been rolled in front has been thrown aside. And she sees it, and she comes to a conclusion, a very natural conclusion, somebody has broken into the tomb and has taken the Lord, she, there's been a grave robbery that's taken place. Now, to help you visualize what's going on here, just a, a, little, a little drawing of what one of these graves looked like. And this is kind of a cutaway. And you see that there's that small opening there in the front. And uh, so it's small, it's low, okay? In order to get in, you had to kind of step into it and then into the room, And then along the back wall, you see there's a bench where there's kind of some clothes there. That's where Jesus' body would have been laid. And then you see the round stone there that would slide in place in front of the the door. That's That's what this tomb looked like. And they've excavated many of these kinds of tombs all over Israel. And in fact, here's a picture of one. Okay, And that's an angel, actually, that we caught in the camera. There at the tomb. It's amazing. But you see, you see the low opening, and you see the stone, right? And so that's basically what that picture shows. So visualize this. This will help you as we tell the story uh, of, what, of what happened. Uh, because I'm going to tell the story frame by frame. Okay, we're going frame by frame. And you're wondering, why are we going frame by frame? Let me tell you why. For the same reason that if you watch TV, it's like on all the time on the History Channel, the, the assassination of JFK. How many times have you seen that video where it's like frame then the next frame, and the next frame, Discovery Channel, they have it on all the time. Why? Because that was a very important event in history. This one's more important, okay? So we're going frame by frame, what happened in the story. Mary comes up to the tomb, and she sees that that round stone has been, has been moved, maybe thrown aside. She thinks to herself, somebody has robbed his body. I've got to go tell someone. So she turns, and she takes off, and she runs back to where the disciples are, and she bursts into the room, and she says, somebody has taken his body, and we don't know where it is. Peter and John, they jump up, and they take off running, and they run back to the tomb. Now, John notes in his gospel that he beat Peter there, which I, so, I find sort of ironic. I wonder, are they like in heaven, and Peter's going, why did you have to put that in there, you know? But uh, John was faster. Maybe younger, who knows. But anyway, John gets there first, and he just kind of looks at it from the outside, and he's like, what's going on? Peter, if you know anything about Peter, Peter has no bashfulness whatsoever. Peter just like, get out of my way, John. And he goes down, and he ducks in, and he steps up into the tomb, and he looks around, and the body isn't there. And so he steps out, and Peter and John look a second, and they don't know what to make of it. And so they leave, and they go back to wherever they were. While they were doing this, Mary Magdalene has now made her way back to the tomb. And she's standing there, and this now is what John picks up in the story. What happened to Mary Magdalene after Peter and John left? Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. 
And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, the Greek word there for weeping, this is not like a tear was coming down her face. This is a very emotional word. It's an intense word. She is, she is extremely emotional about what has happened, much like you would be if you had a loved one who was buried and you went to the cemetery and you see that the whole thing's been dug up. You'd be upset as well. And that's how Mary feels. And so there she is. She's weeping. And as she's standing there by the grave, she decides that she's going to look in. And so she ducks down and she looks into the grave. And inside the grave, she sees two angels, the text says, sitting where Jesus had laid. And she knew where they had laid him. She was there when it happened. And one of the angels was at his feet, where his feet would have been. And one of the angels was at his, where his head was. And there they are in a kind of shimmering white. I think almost like two lamps. Like God just put to turn two lamps on so Mary could see that, you know what? Look, he's not there. By the way, angels, just to say what an angel is, the Bible describes angels as created beings that God made to do his bidding. Oftentimes they're messengers, but they're just there to serve God in whatever way. And you might be like, why are there angels at this thing? Realize that this is a party that is going on in heaven. On earth, we haven't, it hasn't been discovered what had happened yet. But heaven already knows that Jesus, I mean, he's been there for three days. And they know that he's been resurrected. And so all of heaven is like, yeah. They're going crazy in heaven. So that it'd be more surprising not to see angels at the tomb than the fact that we find them there. They're so excited about it. Well, the angels ask Mary a question. Why are you weeping? I'd like you to remember those words. Why are you weeping? Now, that might seem a little bit rude because weeping is what people do at a graveside, right? When you go to the, if you go to a cemetery and you see somebody at a graveside and they're weeping, you don't really have to ask them why they're weeping. You kind of know why they're weeping. But they ask this question not so much to be rude, I think, but possibly because they know something that Mary doesn't know yet. Woman, why are you weeping? And she responds to them with her grave robber theory. Verse 13. They have taken away my Lord and I don't know where he is. Now I think that there's some tremendous irony here in this story. First of all, realize that angels are imposing and impressive beings. Matthew tells us that actually when Jesus was resurrected in that moment, it was an angel who came down and threw the stone out of the way. He's, the angel sits on the stone, and the text says that the Roman guards who were there to protect uh, the grave, and these are like the special forces, these are like tough guys, okay? Tough guys. They take one look at the angel, and the text says that they fall down like dead men. So apparently, the sight of an angel is a fairly overwhelming experience there's two angels in this grave and mary looks in and she just has a conversation with them they've taken his body and i don't know where they've laid him she's not thinking there's two angels in the grave and they're talking to me 
I think we see the focus that Mary has. She's, even the sight of two angels doesn't deter her from the fact that she wants to know where Christ is. Secondly, the angels know something Mary doesn't. They know something that Mary doesn't. She's weeping. They're not. In fact, I think they're probably smiling, sitting there just like that, happy as can be. And there's no more to this conversation, but if there was more to the conversation, I think it might have gone something like this. Mary, why are you weeping? Jesus' body is gone, and it's not here. Yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? No, it's not. Tell me, where is it? I'll go get it. Well, you don't want his body here. Yes, I do. This is where it belongs. I'm going to anoint it with spices. Where is his body? You don't want his body here. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Mary, what? You don't get it. You don't get it. And clearly she didn't. And friends, Mary here represents all of humanity and might represent you today. In this world, there are so many who don't get it. The tears of this world and the sorrows of this world. And just think for a moment about what is going on in this world today and all of the fears and all of the issues that are happening both globally and nationally. And then think about all of the personal trauma that's going on in the homes and the families of just this community. This world is a world that is filled with tears and despair. And the ultimate reason for that is that we are all dying. We are all dying. Old people are dying. Young people are dying. Sometimes after pitching six shutout innings against the Oakland A's, young men are dying. And the despair and the tears speak eloquently to the fact that we are seeking answers. And I wonder today if secretly and inwardly behind the mask that maybe you're wearing today, if this doesn't somehow resonate in your heart, might I ask you today, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? What isn't the way that you think it should be? And I wonder if today, maybe like Mary, you're missing something. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, now, realize something right here. In the Gospel of John, if this is all that you had in the story, you've been reading this entire story, you are heartbroken as well in reading the story because Jesus is dead. But wait a second, he's not in the grave, and there's angels there, and there's women there, and there are disciples there, but where is Jesus? And right here in this verse is for the very first time the statement that Jesus is alive. And if you were reading this for the very first time, you'd come to this part and you'd be like, yeah. He's alive. What? Jesus is standing there? <laughs> Whoa. Well, Mary answers the angels. And then she turns around. Now the text doesn't tell us why she turned around. We don't know. She might have, she might have heard footsteps. She might have, you know, I, I don't know. But what I think possibly happened is that the angels in the tomb were like this. And Mary's like, 
And here's Jesus standing there. But she doesn't recognize him. Now, she was crying. We don't know. The son, whatever. But for whatever reason, she doesn't recognize him. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Wait a second. That's the same thing that the angel said, isn't it? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So Mary doesn't recognize him, and Jesus now is is speaking to her, and I believe, no doubt, with a little smile on his face. Like, so many people have this perspective of Jesus, like he's like, Why art thou weeping woman, you know? Remember, he's 100% human, and there he is. He's just been resurrected. He's back with one of his faithful followers. I see him smiling and saying, why are you crying? Why are, who, who are you seeking? And in spite of that, Mary doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener, and it's early in the morning. Who else would be in the garden than the gardener? And so she says to him, if you have taken him away, tell me where, and I will get him. Here's what we see. Mary isn't getting it, is she? Mary is wanting to fix it. She's wanting to take care of it in her own way. She's like, I'm going to take care of business. You tell me where he is. I will fix this problem. God has another plan, a blessing, but she's missing it. There are many people like this, of course, committed to living life the way they want to live it doing things their way, taking care of business their way, missing out on the blessing of God in their life. I know this because I'm a pastor. You know, being a pastor means meeting and talking and ministering to people. And I would compare being a pastor a little bit like being a doctor in this sense. I don't think very many people go to the doctor to let them know how healthy they feel, right? Hey, Doc, good to see you. I feel great. Where do I pay? Uh, You know, they just, nobody does that, right? They only go to the doctor. You only go to the doctor when something's not the way that it should be. And being a pastor is a little bit like that because we meet with people when there is trouble and when there is sorrow and when there is crisis in their life. And oftentimes as I meet with them, they begin to tell their story. And the story will begin, and you know, back when I was a kid, and you start to begin to see a little, little pattern of rationalizing things in their life, you know, my, oh, and they're victims, you know, my parents or my this or that, and, and then rationalizing decisions that they've made in their life about different things and how committed they are to doing it, what they want to do it their way. And you just sort of see it cycling down in the story to the very end, which leads to why they're there in that particular day. And what I'll oftentimes say to them is this. How's that working for you? Could I ask you that today? No judgment here. But in your heart, how's that working for you? Living life your way. Committed to doing things your way. Self-managing your life. How's that working? Is it providing meaning? Hope? Assurance? Any sense of transcendence? The blessing that comes with that? Is it it getting you there? I talked last week, in fact, after one of our services, I stood about right there to a woman 
who essentially said this to me, my life is basically empty and I am searching for meaning. That might be you here today. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Okay? Now, frame by frame. Here we go. Frame by frame. Listen. Mary is looking into the tomb. And there's angels in there. And uh, they have a conversation. And maybe they're like, like this. She turns, and here she sees Jesus, who she mistakes as the gardener. And he says to her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She says, the body of my Lord, if you've taken it, tell me where it is. I will fix it. And the text describes her as she says that. She turns away from him. And as she turns away from him, he says to her, her name, Mary. Now think with me, please think with me. What happened to Mary in that nanosecond as she hears her name said? Like what I see happening is those little tear ducts, they're like, whoop. The tear ducts close. And the despair that she was feeling and the sorrow, away it goes. And happiness wells up in her heart. But she's trying to process what? Right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like if you've ever seen the videos, and I hope that you have because they're really great, the videos of when there's a child uh, whose parent is serving in the military in Iraq or Afghanistan or some other place, and it's like the little girl, it's the girl's birthday or it's Christmas or something like that, and they secretly fly back, daddy, you know, back to home and they don't tell the little girl. And uh, typically they do these at the elementary schools, it seems like. And so if you watch the videos and you know what they do is they have a big assembly and it's, uh, you know, in the cafeteria or the gymnasium and, and uh, there's a big box, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the room all wrapped up and everyone's in there and all the people are there and, and somebody, the principal, whoever gets up and says, you know, uh, would, would, would Susie Smith please come forward? And, you know, you sort of see Susie Smith going, <laughs> Like this, you know, and, and they're like, Susie, why don't you go up and open the box? And she's like, okay, you know, and she walks up to the box. And as she gets close to the box, like just goes to touch or something like that, and jumps out of the box, you know, and, and everyone's cheering and all of this. And they, and you see the, the face of the little girl. Because she's like trying to process this. You know, it's like tick, 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 tick. She's going through this and she's thinking something like this, I think. He looks like my daddy. He sounds like my daddy. My mommy's over there in the corner crying. There are TV cameras everywhere. Everyone's cheering. This must be my daddy. It's him. And then, she, you know, they have the big embrace and everyone's like that. That's what I think is going on for Mary. As she turns away and she hears, frame by frame, here we go. She hears Mary. And she she stops, just freezes. And her brain's going, trying to process, what does this mean? Thinking something like this. I know he was dead. I was there. I buried him. 
but he's not in the grave. And there are two angels in there, and they're talking to me. And it sounds like him, and he's smiling at me. Dick, 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 ding. It's him. And she turns towards Christ. Teacher, Lord. And that turn, my friends, was much more than a physical turn. As she turned, it was an emotional turn. It was a spiritual turn for her. Because she went from being somebody who didn't get it. She was missing something. The angels knew it. She didn't. Suddenly, she gets it. And in that moment, she believes. And the text says that she embraces Jesus. She believed in that moment. She saw him alive. And everything changed. The text goes on to say that what happened is that after the embrace, she goes running back to where the disciples are, and she bursts into the room, and she says, I have seen the Lord. And I, no doubt in that room, everyone's like, oh, what? And on the story goes, and the story goes on to say that Jesus appeared many times to the disciples, up to 500 people he appeared to after his resurrection, showing himself to be very much alive. But, according to John, Mary Magdalene was first. Isn't that interesting? Not Peter. Not John. Like, if I was Jesus, I'd appear first to, like, Caiaphas or Pilate. And I'd be all like... But not Jesus. Who does he appear to first? A woman with the past, but who was devoted to him. Why are you weeping? This question is as poignant today as it has ever been. You know, after the resurrection, we still cry. We still cry. Everybody cries. Jesus wept as well. But after the resurrection, for those who believe, our tears are different now. They're different. They're still wet. They're still... There's, you know, they're still clear, but if you were to take the look, take a spiritual microscope at the tears of a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you would see floating in the, in the tears all kinds of hope molecules. We have hope now that prior to the resurrection, we didn't have. And friends, this is why this is so critical and why for our church this is so exciting. I began this message by telling you, I'm going to tell you why we get excited about this. Here's why. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And that turn for Mary that she had from sorrow and despair to life and hope and faith and eternal life is the turn that God desires for everyone. And I can say to you today, this is God's desire for you. And the resurrection makes all the difference. In fact, it makes all this possible. Here's why. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead validates everything that he said. And Jesus made some pretty radical statements. If you really read what he said, pretty radical things. Like, here's just two examples. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Who makes statements like that? Looney Tune people, 
right? It's radical. Jesus said this as well. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Who makes a statement like that? I mean, you can go to Chicago somewhere and walk the streets, and you'll find people making some pretty sort of Looney Tune kind of statements. Or you can go down to Sunset Strip, Muscle Beach in California. I've been there one time. You walk along there, and there are people that are saying all kind of things there. And uh, anybody can say anything. You could say to me after this service, I'm a flamingo. All right? Great. Well, it's nice to meet you. People can say anything that they want to, but if somebody says... I am going to die, and three days later, I am going to be resurrected from the dead, and then they accomplish it. That rather proves they know what they're talking about, don't you think? Doesn't that change everything? Absolutely. This is why C.S. Lewis says, those who think about Jesus Christ have three conclusions to come to. He is either a liar, or a lunatic, or he is Lord of all. Those are the only three options. And he's not a liar because he did what he said. He's not a lunatic because he did what he said, which means that today he is Lord of all, alive at the right hand of God. It validates everything that he said, which includes gloriously this. Jesus guaranteed eternal life for all who believe in him. He guaranteed it. Remember, man's ideas fail us right where we need them to work the most. They have all kinds of promise. They make so much sense. They're compelling speakers that do it or whatever, the writers. But at the end of the day, nothing that we come up with can solve the question that we have, which is the death issue. What happens to me when I die? But Jesus Christ speaks to this very point And the Bible makes it clear that there is coming a day that all of us are going to die and that we will stand in judgment from God. And there are two paths that are going to happen. God is going to judge us according to our deeds. And since we are all sinners, we will be judged rightfully, eternally condemned in a place called hell. You want a reason to weep? There's one. But Jesus gloriously has come to rescue us from this judgment and to make a way for our sins to be forgiven so that God can judge us as holy and to give us eternal life. And this is the message of the gospel and this is why the trustworthiness of Jesus' words is so wonderful. Because he said this, the most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. The man who was dead and resurrected said that, which validates that this is true, which means that today there is the opportunity for all of us, for those who believe in Christ, for our sins to be forgiven and for us to receive the thing that our hearts want the most, which is eternal life. It comes by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And so today I say to you, my dear friend, listen, behind, behind the mask or behind the life or whatever it is that you portray, there is a soul that longs to know God and to have a relationship with him and to know that you have eternal life. And there is a promise from the one who was resurrected from the dead, if you believe in me, you will be saved. Much like Mary, to me it's the turn. 
Today, what needs to happen? My life is this way. I'm thinking this way, but I'm missing something. But I hear a risen Savior, and I turn, not just physical, but I turn spiritually, and I see that he is alive, and I believe, and I love him. That's faith. That's the kind of faith that saves. And today, this can happen in your life. This morning early, I got on Facebook. Don't friend me, because you know I'm on Facebook now. But I got on Facebook, and I was kind of reading, and I got a little note from a woman who was here last night. And she had a friend that she invited, and she didn't think she was here, but she was here. And she found out last night, got a note from her. She came to our church. She heard the same music. She heard this message. She went home a Christian last night. So, amen. You have been in the same service that she was in. You have heard essentially the same thing. And might not God be trusting your heart to believe, to settle the matter, that would be a great thing. That might be expressed in a prayer or something like this. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and I need my sins forgiven. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I pray and I ask that you would give to me eternal life. And that prayer flowing from a heart that believes is what God delights to respond in saving people from their sins. This can be a reality in your life. And then, like so many of us, to realize, like Mary, where the joy comes from. Why the happiness in the resurrection? Why do we get excited about it? Because this is the center of our hope. He is alive. He is risen. That's why we celebrate. That's why we sing. That's why we get excited about a risen Savior. He is alive. So, praise God, he is. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Paul writes, it's gone. It's gone. Why? Because he is risen. He is alive. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father,